0: Spectrums brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge. By word or image or data stream, and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. Spectrum features conversations with fascinating people, Some are famous and some aren't, but the common thread is that they all have captivating stories. Today we're talking with one of our Washington regulars, Philip Elliott, a veteran Washington journalist and a Washington correspondent for Time. He also is the author of Time's new daily political newsletter, The D.C. Brief. Phil talks with us about the 2020 presidential race, election interference, and the validity of political polling. Phil, uh, this is an election like no other for so many reasons. Um, But let's talk specifically about some current events that are going on. We first had... Bob Woodward's book uh, a couple of weeks ago, we've got the Wiseman book uh criticizing uh special counsel Robert Mueller's investigation. Uh we, we've had the New York Times uh investigation of Trump's taxes. Is all of this just election as usual or is this make it all different?
1: It feels completely different, I have to say. a Bob Woodward book during an election year, um, just taking your points one at a time uh, is something every incumbent administration kind of braces for. Um, they hate it, but they know it's coming. Uh, the I'm looking at a copy of my copy of Rage right here by mr woodward. Um, it 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 confirms what a lot of voters have long suspected to be the case that this is an administration that really hasn't paid um, sufficient heed to the power it has or appreciated all of the um, abilities that are incumbent with um, the presidency. Um, I, I remember the, <laughs> during uh, President Bush's reelect, uh, it was just kind of like this running joke that, okay, Woodward's going to come in and you know try to throw this thing to Kerry. The Obama team had deep distress towards Woodward and thought he was too sympathetic towards um, House Republicans, especially when it came to, uh, fiscal matters. Uh, this president uh, didn't cooperate with the first Woodward vote. He c- clearly cooperated with this one. Um, a lot of Republicans I speak to here in DC wonder to what end he cooperated. Like he just basically said all of the soft parts loud, um, and confirmed all of the worst instincts about what, um, the president was doing behind the scenes. To your second point about, um, Andrew Weissman, I had a chance to talk with him uh, over the weekend about this book. And it, it, it's out on Tuesday. Um, I'm, pl- I, I, I'm writing our interview in uh, Time's new politics newsletter, the DC Brief. You can sign up at time.com. Shameless plug there. Um, but it really in it, it, we have the first inside account of the notoriously tight-lipped Mueller team and about what they were going through. And the big takeaway I have for this is that every single day they expected to be fired. So every single day, they were trying to memorialize and protect their work product in different places. They would, um, for for readers of a certain age, this will sound very Harry Potter horcrux, that you split apart the whole of who you are and you hide it in different places. So in case you get killed, there's a backup somewhere and yes, I am dating myself as a millennial here um, <laughs> with the Harry Potter reference, but I'm okay with that. Um, but really, they were just outsourcing the transcripts and the indictments and the tips and everything throughout the across this country, trying to preserve in case they got fired. And that really was one of the motivating factors and one of the limitations of just how far they could go with the Mueller investigation. That uh, Mr. Weissman told me that you know. They they really wanted to talk to the president. They wanted to talk to Ivanka. They wanted to to, uh, speak with Don Jr., but they knew going to the kids would be a step too far, and there was nothing to prevent Donald Trump from firing Mueller and the entire team at any given time, so they were constantly trying to balance that. The other part is, I mean, it just feels like everything just keeps coming day after day here, and you're you're looking at a campaign that's really being fought in a one-sided way, Donald Trump is having his rallies. They're not wearing masks. They're flying around the country. Vice President Biden is largely sticking at home, doing smaller events. It's really just a battle of um, expectations at this point. The one thing I will say, though, is the president's reelection team is really in financial trouble. They're running out of money pretty quickly. And Joe Biden's team seems to have unlimited resources to get his message up on the air. I mean, you're looking at three to one, five to one, 10 to one in some states, um, advertising disadvantage. And for an incumbent president to be at that disadvantage really just speaks to, um, both one democratic enthusiasm, um, to vote president Trump out of office and just fiscal mismanagement on, in, in, on the president's, uh, backyard.
0: The New York Times uh, in-depth reporting on Trump's taxes that uh, came out. Uh, What impact, if any, do you think that'll have on people out here in the heartland struggling, uh, especially during the, the pandemic?
1: You know, the Times has really done phenomenal work here on the president's tax returns. Showing that he paid $750 in federal income tax on not on a federal presidential salary of $400,000 plus his alleged billion-dollar empire. Um, I'm not sure that it is that it will serve anything beyond confirming what we already suspected that the president talks a big game but doesn't have a lot to back it up. just anecdotally talking with some friends of mine who are Trump supporters or re- or even reluctant Trump voters, they don't care. It, it, they've always been voting for a personality, not a record, and they they still see the braggart of Donald Trump and his swagger and just how he does not play by the rules as you know a, a bonus for him and to see him you know maybe maybe work the system, maybe skirt the system and not pay um, what we would, what most Americans would say would be a uh, fair share of federal taxes, it doesn't really hurt them. I mean, if, and if we're going into three presidential debates where Joe Biden's biggest attack line is about accounting loopholes, I don't know that that inspires a whole lot of just reason to line up behind the former vice president either.
0: Speaking of the debates, uh, we talked with Phil Ewing over at at NPR about election security, and and we'll get to that in in a moment. But we were also talking about how extended the voting is now, that people are voting today, uh, not only by mail, but in person uh, across this country, it used to be the campaigns started at Labor Day. There was the October surprise, and you came up to November. Uh, campaigns have changed in all of the years that you have covered uh, presidential politics. Uh, this one, how important are the debates if people are already voting? Haven't people already made up their minds?
1: Well, I mean, people have made up their minds of getting back to January. To be, I mean, just to put a, just to be yeah. fair about it, I mean, there, there is no one. There are very few undecided voters. When you, when you ask them, do you want President Trump to have another four years or not? You're talking about maybe seven percent, and that's generous, who are on the fence. But I mean, I remember in '04, my first presidential campaign. There was this. It was called the 72-hour operation. It's the final get-out-the-vote. You know, and Republicans had dominated it. Um, you get out the vote. You go door to door on the undecided voters. You maximize your guaranteed voters. You just run up the tally at the doors. Now it's it's not a 72-hour operation. It's a 54-day operation. That early voting in this country started 54 days before November 3rd, which means every single day is has the potential to be an October surprise every single day has an opportunity to really just derail a campaign. Um, that has, you know, there's an upside if you're just trying to bank your votes and hope as was the case in 2016, that enough votes were already cast and in the in the boxes before something like the Access Hollywood tape came out and maybe perhaps shook um, suburban um, women, white women, white women without college degrees. Um, now, I mean, the, the debates are, they're not going to be, they're not going to be deciding points. They're going to be confirmation points where it's going to give people permission to do what they already believed that they were going to do. Hasn't, and that's not, that's not nothing.
0: But hasn't Trump sort of fallen into a, a, a trap? I don't know whether traps the right word, but you know, it keep, he keeps pushing on the feeble-mindedness of Joe Biden. Uh, therefore, I think lowering the expectations, everybody that I talk with says Biden's going to screw up in, in the, the debates and lowers the expectation. Meanwhile, Trump isn't doing a whole lot, I, at least uh, schedule-wise, uh, to prepare for the debates. So if Joe Biden just goes in and doesn't make a major faux pas, he, doesn't he sort of win?
1: <laughs> well, this is this is the – Trump has been his own worst enemy when it comes to setting the expectations for the, the, the debates. In one minute, he's saying Joe Biden is addle-minded, hiding in his basement, can't do – doesn't know where he is, doesn't know what day of the week it is, a puppet of the left, doesn't know anything. And then the next minute saying Joe Biden is suddenly smart. We should test them for drugs to see if he's on performance enhancing uh, substances because he's so good. I mean, if you're going to if you're going to work the refs, I mean, just pick away. You're going <laughs> to work, it, Mr. <laughs> <laughs> President. Um, the I will say this about Vice President Biden having I, I I was I was in the room with him when he when he debated. Um, then chairman Paul Ryan in Danville, Kentucky. And got, heading into there, it, it was, we, we all flew into Frankfurt and then drove down and talking with his very senior staff at the time. It was like, okay, you know, he, he kind of screwed up with Palin. He, he didn't really bring it to her. And they were very adamant that the Palin debate in 2008 was a one-off. That was not who Joe Biden is as a debater. Um, he was so afraid of offending women by being tough with her that he he really he he was very soft with her and just kind of let her do her thing because he knew above all things else he could not afford to come off as sexist or condescending. Sitting in the debate hall in Danville, um, watching him, and no one pays attention to VP debates, but. I, I'm a nerd and I was there and I was traveling with Paul Ryan. Um, man, if Joe Biden didn't just put Paul Ryan on the ropes with specifics on policy and details about history and just some really good rhetorical flourishes. Joe Biden's debate team is the same debate team as he had, the, as he had um, goodness, now 12 and uh, eight years ago. They're good. They know him. They know how to get the best performance out of him. I, I don't know that Donald Trump counting on Joe Biden imploding is a substitute for good debate prep on his part, because Joe Biden is going to have specific questions um, and specific examples of how Trump took steps that worked against America's best interests. And Trump, if, if the best he can come up with is discredited conspiracy conspiracy theories about Hunter Biden, it, it's not going to be a good night for the president.
0: Let's go back to influences with this election. And uh, we heard FBI Director Chris Ray last week saying that uh, election security is a top priority. Uh, again, talking with Phil Ewing, he was saying how the security uh, processes in Washington are, are certainly uh, taking a look at this. You know, we've got... COVID pandemic, we've got all of the things that make this election so much different. Uh, How much of the foreign influence is really going to matter in this election?
1: I don't know that it's going to matter in terms of raw votes. What I worry about is whether it taints the perception of America as a free and legitimate democracy that the whole power of America as an idea is that one man, one vote, we do elections. They're free, they're fair, they're open, they're transparent. Everyone has an opportunity with early voting, with mail-in voting. We've actually expanded the franchise here to millions more people who might not normally have had an opportunity to participate in limited same-day voting. But if you're looking at, If you're a foreign country trying to delegitimize America, having Americans not believe that the votes count, having America believe that the election is rigged, having the losers not accept their loss, having the winners um, be perceived as having achieved a victory through ill-gotten means, that is what every American enemy wants wants to see i mean russian Russian influence operations are not new um they're actually really good at this i'm actually in the middle of reading um uh, a, a memoir of a former k g b chief uh here in the United States just because i don't like sleeping at night or having um, <laughs> i really having like, a uh, life right nightmares. yeah oh uh, like uh, collusion um Uh, his book Spy Master, where he just details over 30 years all the dirty tricks he played in American politics. And I'm looking at the, I'm reading this, I'm like, instead of using a Xerox machine in Brooklyn, they're using, you know, bot farms outside of Des Moines. I mean, we're just trying to constantly uh, shore up confidence in the American system of democracy. And really, I mean, I, I had this conversation with Condi Rice um, last year where we were talking about whether this was a new Cold War or not. And like like she said, the Cold War ended, but the, the the tradecraft did not. That there's constantly, you know, the Soviet Union fell, but that mindset of Soviet spies didn't end. I mean, Vladimir Putin is a former KGB guy. He's not going to stop... Um, trying to meddle and discredit with um, active measures in the United States, just because you know the KGB changed its name. That ultimately, if you are in an ideological battle for global dominance, you use every power at your disposal. And a lot of that is, I mean, America's strength is its confidence in its democratic system. If you can erode that, that's a really big win. Um, as you're trying to reshape the world order.
0: And and from what I gather, it's this misinformation or disinformation, however you wish to, to characterize it, that is really the important aspect to all of this. It's not really the security of the ballots that we're afraid of. It's this constant drumbeat uh, that... Everything's rigged and hoaxed and and unfair.
1: Yeah, and to be clear, the misinformation, disinformation, active measures, whatever we want to call it, it doesn't have to be completely made up. Some of the best propaganda that we saw during the Cold War, because this is what I'm writing my dissertation on, um, is there's an element of truth to it, that you don't have to completely make something up out of whole a whole cloth. I mean, a wholesale fabrication is not necessary. One of the, Reading through the State Department papers um, from the 50s and 60s, one of the best arguments that the Soviets were able to throw in the face of American negotiators, in the face of everything else going on in the world, and American diplomats had no good answer for it, was, but you lynch Negroes. And that was just, that would always stop American diplomats in their tracks. Because there was, it was true. America did have a horrible um, record on race relations, and really surrendered a lot of its moral authority um, through that until we got through the civil rights movement. And even then, even today, we still don't have a good record. It is not an exemplary no, record no. when it comes to race race relations in the country. But there's you. The Soviets were able to seize on an element that had truth to it and exploit that. You're seeing a lot of that now. I mean, there's a reason why so much in 2016 was about Black Lives Matter. You take a look at a lot of the misinformation, disinformation trying to rile Americans up right now. A lot of it is rooted in legitimate news stories about how America has fallen down and not fulfilled its promise. Um, And really every time we do something that counters the American ideal, We are helping Russia, China, Iran, all of our enemies by giving them truthful ammunition, which they can wield against us on social media.
0: Talking about this campaign, and I know politicians always try to distill things down to two or three fairly simple issues that people can grasp hold of. It seems this time around we have the the pandemic, uh, and the management of that. We have the uh, race relations, uh, and and what that all entails. We have this whole Nixonian law and order, silent majority uh, business. But it seems like we have all of those things now on steroids. <laughs> They they seem to be out of the norm of perspective. Am I wrong in that?
1: You're not. I mean, every day, at least here in Washington, trying to keep an eye on the campaign, the presidential campaign. And don't forget, the House is its own campaign. All 435 of those seats are up. And then you've got a third of the Senate up. Um, And watching the ballet among those different... Competing interests has been fascinating, but it is it has been like drinking from a fire hose. That there's just no relenting of time. I mean, I was I, I had read the t- Trump tax story last night, went to pick up dinner, and a friend of mine texted, um, which what I thought what I thought was an onion headline, but I realized it was true. It was Trump's former campaign manager was in psych, uh, psych a psych ward for his own safety after barricading himself in with a gun and threatening to hurt hurt himself. I mean, there's just every single minute seems to be a new twist in this story and keeping up with it has been incredibly difficult. But in terms of the intensity, I I mean, it's one of those things like, I just to go back to the 08 example, it was like, oh, okay, Bristol Palin's pregnant. Okay, that's that's a thirty that's thirty seconds in my mind that I have to give up. Now I can go back to <laughs> writing about the economy. Right. We're not dealing with the 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 personal side of this and the things that are not consequential. We're talking about r- deep racial injustice. We're talking about you know people getting indicted for shooting a white neighbor's wall but not shooting a black woman. we're we're talking about, you know, Trump tax returns that suggest he's very deep in debt and has hundreds of millions of dollars of personal debt due um, in short order. I mean, we're we're dealing with, I mean, we still don't know why the president went to Walter Reed Medical Center unannounced for that physical. Um, we, We don't have, a solution for this pandemic. We don't have a vaccine in the offering. We don't have, I mean, the government is set to run out of money on September 30th, and we haven't secured, at least as of when you and I are talking, enough votes to keep the lights on on October 1st. They will stay on. But it's just, there is, it's easier to confirm a Supreme Court nominee at this moment in the way Washington structured itself than to pass a funding measure. It's easier to put Amy Coney Barrett on the Supreme Court than to rename a post office that there is just so much folly happening in Washington and how we have chosen to write the rules for ourselves that there there you're not there is no moment at which we can catch up on anything
0: we'll be back after this message The Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University seeks to not only educate students about today's communication industry, but to produce innovative leaders who will shape the future of communication and its methods of delivery in a rapidly changing technological landscape. Scripps provides leadership in communication by preparing students to be effective and responsible communicators in a global society and by advancing the field through creative activity and research. The Scripps College of Communication fosters multicultural awareness within a diverse community. It strives to create a climate of civility where leadership and innovation are prized and responsibility and accountability are understood. The college values curriculum, research, and creative activity that provide benefits to people regionally, nationally, and globally. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Phil, but let's let's bring this back to home and hearth. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. perhaps here in the Midwest. I mean, people are concerned about their health and safety. Uh, some people are concerned about their civil rights and whether they should wear a mask or not. I think that's folly, but that they they believe that. Uh, you know, w- people are concerned that their jobs aren't coming back, or their unemployment's going to run out. Uh, they don't give a damn about the stock market. Uh you know what about the issues that that come within the household that people sh- normally care about are, are are they absent in this campaign
1: you know it's it's an interesting question there is no shortage of and I, I i mean no disrespect to secretary clinton on this but the biden campaign like hillary hillary clinton's campaign has a plan for everything No one cares that there is a plan for clean energy. There's a plan for safe schools. There's a plan for racial justice, for policing reform, for criminal justice reform. All of this exists out there, but voters at their core are voting for a person. They're not voting for a platform. And I think that how you feel about the candidates is going to matter more than what the candidates are actually going to do. I mean, how many... I I was, I was... Elliott Family Focus Group giving a, doing a check-in <laughs> with, with family members who are still in Ohio. I mean, it's, it's totally unscientific, but it's just good to hear from, it, well, it's good to talk to family, but it's sure. also good just to feel like, what are you thinking about this election? And time and again, I heard members of my family say, well, Joe Biden will raise my taxes, and I, not, not to advocate for the Biden campaign for or against him but the tax changes that Biden's talking about are only for families making over $400,000 a year. And I'm not presuming to speak for any members of my family, but I don't know that that, that many of them fit into that category of making more than 400 right. a year. Um, but they are just convinced. And this has been amplified uh, time and again, that they just see Joe Biden is going to be punitive towards success and economic prosperity. And, no amount of details about economic policy or extending this benefit or cutting this loophole are going to matter more than how people feel about the individual candidates.
0: People I talk with, and and maybe they're different than, than the Elliott family uh, focus group, uh, but they're looking at chaos... And our democracy always teetering on, on something versus normalcy and a sense of peace and a sense of, I get up in the morning, I don't have to worry about what's on the news today. I can go about living my life. Is that not part of it?
1: It, it seems to be, but it's interesting that the president and his team are the ones running ads of video of riots in the streets right now as Trump is president saying, this is what Joe Biden's America would look <laughs> right. like. What
0: lunacy is that?
1: It, it just requires a complete disconnect from reality. And judging by the amount of money the Trump campaign is putting behind these ads, they think there's be- payoff on that. They think that the investment is working. Um even though polls would say otherwise, and um, you, you take a look at just early vote numbers coming in, um, you, you see in some places three to one advantage for Democrats asking for early ballots. But you really do have to wonder that is is this a campaign that is free from rationality? Um, the Trump campaign is operating as though that is the case, and you know they won in 2016 on this on this. Um, novel approach to campaigning in which nothing mattered.
0: Well, that leads me to my final topic that I want to talk to you about because I know you're a busy guy and you have to go here in a bit, but let's talk about polls. Polls were huge in 2016. Uh, Everybody said the polls got them wrong, got the election wrong. I'm not sure that that's true, but that's the, the, the common parlance out there. Polls now, we have national polls, which we hear are worthless. We have uh, critical state polls, uh, swing state polls, you know, uh, essential polls in essential states. Uh, Is it the whole ballgame or are we just, you know, polls are not that important?
1: You know, I, I will defend polling from 2016. They got the, they got the numbers right. I mean, Hillary Clinton did win by more than 3 million votes. They just weren't in the places where they needed to be. Um they you know, polling accurately at that point reflected where America broadly was. I think the polls are probably pretty right right now. Um I don't think and I I get back to this and this going to be my old man on a front porch <laughs> rant that when we're talking about in a civics class, there has got to be a component where we understand that you know there, the, there is a margin of error. Polls are science, but there is margin of error in science. And really only 95% of polls are going to be accurate. 5% of polls are garbage. Just straight out of the gate, 5% of polls are junk. And the pollsters acknowledge this. That's why there's a, margin, a interval of confidence of 95%. Threshold with these polls, but if you if you're uh, if you're you know up four and the margin of error is three, you're tied. And so everyone saying Joe Biden is running away with this thing because he's up five points and the margin of error is three percentage points, you're still tied because three times two is six. So you're inside the margin of error. Like you you just got to be have some degree of literacy. When it comes to these polls, I mean, there is a limit to what the polling is, um, what the polling can tell us. There are also limits to what, the, I mean, polling is not predictive. I mean, with with an election p- window of 54 days in some states, you're going to get, you could take a different poll every one of those 54 days and have a different result. That that is going to be fluid and that is just unavoidable in these situations um, when you have such a um, an aperture for an election day. I, I, I think people were too confident in 2016 about what the polls were showing, and I think they're too skeptical now of what the polls are showing.
0: Because they are concerned about their accuracy, because they're concerned about uh, people lying to the pollsters? What's what's the concern?
1: Well, I think the there's some... The the people who say polling is garbage um, are wrong. There there are millions of dollars being spent to conduct these polls. I assure you, as media organizations, we're not looking to set money on fire uh, just for the sake of a headline. No, um, we we do not have that money to set on fire. Pandemic has not made that money more plentiful. Um, but I would say we the, the distrust of the polls and writing them off as garbage. Um, just the same way, it's similar. I mean, that that's getting into that, you know, how fake news has become just this catch-all for things you don't want to believe are true. Um, I mean, the poll the polls are accurate to a point, but to your point about people lying to pollsters, I I do think that that is a real concern. Um, but and I'd be more apt to share it ha- if the polls and the focus group data I'm getting weren't so close. That focus groups um, conducted f- across the spectrum for different uh, organizations. I, these these groups like to share their focus groups just to prove <laughs> that they're right and they're smart, and please donors give us another seven sure. figure check so we can keep doing these. Right. Um, but they kind of the, the, anecdotally, the focus groups I've I've clicked into and watched, uh, either streaming or recorded, they t- they seem to match up with what the polls are saying that it's they they don't love the president. They don't hate the president. They're scared and they're angry, but they're not sure who to blame. They think maybe the president's not up to the task, but they're not sure about Joe Biden. This is a really more so than um, more so than 2016. There's there's a squish factor here that I'm having a tr- trouble um, wrapping my head around. And I'll tell you, there's a great project out of American University that's tracking at the African American vote um, and. If for your, your listeners who want to go nerd right. out completely on this, uh, take a look at their crosstabs, especially among young um, Black voters under the age of 30. They don't see the president as, as racist as their grandparents do. Um, they don't see the Democratic Party as speaking for their concerns as much as their grandparents do. Um, there's an interesting phenomenon happening among Black voters under 30 where they, they kind of like Donald Trump. I mean, they're not gonna vote for him with a majority or even a plurality, but there's less hesitance towards him um, than you would have expected. And part of that as one of the researchers um, who won his Pulitzer Prize uh, covering the 92 riots in Los Angeles, uh, an African American scholar there at American University, um, but it, they, they like his swagger. So I think that you're gonna see, especially in these urban areas, um, through the Midwest, where 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 we where we're from, um, we're gonna watch, watch that de- sub demographic um, with with some um, just just pay attention to that that could be a problem and, for Joe and, Biden and,
0: and hence uh, Trump's uh, concentration on black economic issues uh, at least mm-hmm. twice. Uh, uh, last week, once in Atlanta, and I think again, uh someplace else that he made that the the primary issue. and I assume that's the target audience that you're talking about.
1: yeah, and it's I mean, it's also the same target audience that you're seeing the President and his allies try to play to in getting Kanye West on ballots in some states just to I mean shave off just a, a percent here, two percent there. I mean, these elections are won on the margins, and the margins do matter. I mean, we're talking about 78,000 votes uh, deciding the election last time in three states.
0: Phil, one one last area uh, I want to grab you on, and that is uh, last week, President Trump uh, again raised uh, at least the issue of peaceful transition of power. Uh, If he would lose an election Um, that sent chills through uh, a lot of people. I know we heard it a bit in 2016, but uh, now he's sitting as president. So I guess it has as greater relevance. Uh, Why is he doing that? Is there an electoral purpose behind it? And you know, how much stock should we put in it?
1: This is when I go back and forth with quite a bit in terms of: do we listen to what he says or do we look at what he's done? Um, He has said that he he he's not he's going to look at what the results are and he's only going to accept the results he likes, which means he could end up. Right now, what he's doing right now is planting the seeds for, if he loses, not accepting the results, um, which for which just plays right into um, our enemy's hands um, and delegitimizing an election. But he's also, you know, in a way, telling his supporters it doesn't matter if you vote, and that's not a that's not a winning strategy for someone who needs his base to show up. I mean, you couple that with what he's been telling saying about the Supreme Court, that he needs um, his third Supreme Court pick to be confirmed and seated to settle the outcome of this election. I mean, no one wants this to be thrown to the Supreme Court, um, that, you know, ideally this election happens competently, fairly, accurately, um, not necessarily speedily, um, but That, you know, the voters decided on, you know, just sheer numbers and not on questions of um, questions to be decided by the court. Um, It's a really interesting game he's trying to play where he's saying, I want to win the election, but supporters, you don't have to worry about voting for me because it's not going to matter. And then if all else fails, the Supreme Court can fix it with. With three of the justices I've appointed, that's a really intellectually complicated um, gymnastics routine to enact for this president. But he seems to be thinking he can have it all ways. And truth be told, he might be more limber than we're giving him credit for.
0: Well, Phil, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. You always open our eyes to to things that we may not have seen otherwise. Uh, perhaps we can talk again prior to the election, certainly after the election. Uh, I appreciate your time. Again, you've got a new newsletter, uh, Time Does. Uh, you write for it all the time. It's delivered free to your email address Give people that how they could get a hold of it.
1: So you can go to time.com/DC brief to sign up for it. It's um, like you, like Tom just said, it's free every day. It's a reported essay out of Washington. Um, I write it about what really matters in Washington, what might be what you might have missed, what's actually going on behind the headlines, what people on the hill are thinking, what people on the uh, campaign are thinking. Um, just decoding Washington for what really matters. Um, Again, time.com slash DC brief.
0: It's insightful. Uh, It's right on point. Uh, It comes out daily. So it's, it's uh, up to date. It's something I I read every afternoon and uh, good work, Phil. I really appreciate all that you're doing.
1: Thanks, Tom. Great to be with you.
0: Today, we've been talking with journalist and Time Washington correspondent Philip Elliott about the upcoming presidential election. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co producer. I'm your host, Tom Hodson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum's also available for you to hear at the NPR podcast directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about any of our podcasts or have suggested topics for us to cover in the future, please direct those comments to me by email at hodson at Ohio.edu. That's Hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at Ohio.edu.